Hi, Peter. What's up, Drew? Hey. Welcome to How College Works. It is uh, a new semester. Yay. We are not actually in it yet. This has been uh. broadcast into the future for us. But we're speaking from the past for you. So I don't need to pretend like I'm excited. <laughs> or that you've had however long our break is for that grading. I'm, that I'm rested and refreshed. <laughs> well, we'd be only be pretending to be rested and refreshed anyway, even if we were recording at the time, since we tend to spend our break prepping for the next semester. But wanted to get something sorted together and also something that, at least while we're now talking, comes up periodically. So I want to talk about political discussions in the classroom. Drew, does this happen in high school? Uh, absolutely. So are, are we talking about political discussions or, or just like controversial topics or just political? Uh, I was thinking both, but those tend to be, at least now, in the political realm, although they don't have to be. Right. I mean, certainly political discussions at this point in time seem to be highly polarized and controversial. Uh, yeah, that, that, that happens in high school, definitely. Yeah, we get lots of uh, uh, direction on it from the administration to make sure that we're, at least in my, okay, we'll say in my high school, in my district, um, I don't know that any, like, I, scandals have popped up about, you know, teachers have, saying something uh, weird or off off balance or whatever, but um, we have got, you know, we've had staff meeting discussions uh, several several years in a row here of, of, you know, hey, let's keep our discussions on, um, focused on curriculum. Uh, if it's part of the curriculum, that's okay. And, you know, if your boundaries are set up that, uh, you know, where this discussion is going to go and, and versus just a free-for-all unsupervised kind of situation. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had that uh, direction from my principal when I was teaching, even as far back as President Obama getting elected. And out here in California, it was we had Proposition 8 that was a, a really hot topic politically, uh, which was the uh, uh, covered gay marriage, for those of you who are not in California. There was that, and then we had a immigration bill that was out here. That, so we had lots of political topics, even going back eight or ten years of, you know, either coming from the school board or the, or the principal or whomever saying, you know, it needs to stay on topic with the curriculum. If you're a government teacher or a history teacher or an econ teacher, sometimes you can cover that within the realm of, you know, this chapter's about blah, 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 so we're going to cover this in a real uh, focused manner. And if it's thought out ahead of time a little bit, and, you know, certainly the 12th graders get a lot more time in even English class to discuss the, you know, controversial topics is one of their, one of the essays that they write, mm. so they debate, you know, abortion and they debate uh, police brutality and they debate immigration and those things in, in 12th grade and then write an essay on it. So it's, and you know, the, the, the students, some of their parents are police officers. Uh, a lot of their families out here are uh, immigrants recently or, or still, you know, new to the country. So, it, and then that's good, I think, for, for the, you know, for students to be exposed to, hey, my classmates have these different experiences and backgrounds. And as long as it's moderated, I guess, and thought out, and it's not just, hey, we're going to talk about this topic, 
unplanned, unscheduled. And that makes that makes a lot of sense. That they are required to attend, you know, there is mm-hmm. this also requirement that you are not sort of discriminating or being hostile, yeah. whether intentional or not. <clears throat> to the, to I want to add to, I've heard, the part of it is that I'm I'm paid by you know, the government. My my check is signed by the superintendent of public instruction for the county or something like that. So I, and I'm I'm paid by tax money. Mm-hmm. So it it seems a little. Um, it makes sense to me as a teacher that the principal and the school board is trying to say, like, hey, you know, be aware because I don't want to use my classroom time to say, hey, you should vote for X, you should vote for Y, you know, because that's not my position in the, in the school. And so when students asked me in 2008, did you vote for Obama? Uh, and I declined to answer. I was like, well, you know, it's Australian ballot. It's secret ballot in, in the United States. I don't have to say, <laughs> and I'm not going to because I'm a teacher. And how does that look to your parents when you go home and say, Mr. Highland voted this way or that way? It looks right. like I'm using my classroom time to, you know, indoctrinate or tell you that this was a better way to vote than whatever your parents voted. Right. And that's not, that has nothing to do with the math class I'm trying to teach right now. So it, it's not that I'm trying to disrespect or put off or condescend to my students. It's that it has nothing to do with math. And when you graduate, turn 18, we can talk all about politics. <laughs> or when you're not in my class. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. when, we're, when we're not in a teacher-student sort of interaction. Right. And it's a very, you know, the power dynamic is uh, stilted on purpose. It feels like taking advantage of that, and it would be a real slippery slope of, uh, and it's not to say, like, there's plenty of teachers that, that go ahead and say, history teacher, government teacher, but also math, English, art, who say, I voted for Obama, I voted for Democrat, I voted for this, that, and here's why. And they spend, you know, a little bit of class time having the discussion, and that's part of their class culture, and they've built that into their into their thing. Some of them do a better job of, you know, explaining that than others, I guess, because it can, you know, it can come out, it can come across as, yeah, this teacher's super biased towards this group or that group, uh, mm-hmm. or it can come out as, you know, this teacher's willing to have an open, real discussion and treat us like grown-up adults, you know, depending on how that gets explained out. So, and, you know, the other, the flip side of that is there's teachers that have just even recently, I'm thinking of teachers who I know who have been asked to move sites or, or leave the profession or whatever because of things that they've said in the classroom that, you know, you just shouldn't say, period, uh, to anybody. Like political things or other things? Yeah, political things, yeah. Oh. It sounds like it was probably pretty hateful or something. Yeah, I mean, most of the, you know, ACLU lawsuit uh, um, items are stuff that you just shouldn't say out loud. <laughs> no matter where you are or what you do? <laughs> yeah, whether you're a teacher paid by the government or whether you're a private citizen, you probably just shouldn't say this to other humans. Mm. You know, that and that's heavy. when the parents get the lawsuits involved, and, and then the entire district has to comply with the ACLU, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So in college, I, we don't have the same Mm-mm. discussions. I mean, there can be these discussions. There, There is no... There's no dictating to us how to conduct our classrooms, as I've discussed many times before on this podcast. 
but there can come like complaints. Like if I if I do something that really makes you know a student uncomfortable and they complain to my boss, then I will probably get at least an email <laughs> asking for my side of it, and possibly maybe that would lead to an email sending out, not dictating, but requesting, reminding you know faculty to be sort of cognizant of students and letting all students feel like to have it feel inclusive you know like safe space is a thing which I think feels been like super overused and has a meaning and so not that but rather like my students should not feel that I have some bias against them and if I do things that lead to that uh, like if I was to come like we had this I think the most strongly a, a year ago mm-hmm. during the 2016 election and that was I would say a tense time on campus, not because there were like two factions on campus, like walking around, circling around each other, snapping their fingers like West Side Story or something. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was the lead up to the election was tense. The stakes, you know, felt very high on both sides. Only only Trump wins. <laughs> and so then there was a lot of disappointment on one side and a lot of uh, jubilation on the other. And so, they, you know, it made for a a difficult atmosphere in which to conduct a class, even one that had nothing to do with politics. Right, because you could feel it, even if mm-hmm. you weren't discussing it. It was yeah. still there. It was that all wasn't over. limited to the the classroom or the higher ed or that was like I think that was the entire country, most of the entire country, right? Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But I think that we are sometimes afraid of well. And this is also the entire country, but engaging in dialogue to even talk our ways through what that means for us. So we have just been, I mean, me, maybe um, kind of avoiding those discussions because I don't know what would happen. So like even engaging in what might be productive dialogue, like an actual conversation can be a little frightening. Yeah, I, I didn't. I addressed it in my class in one of my classes because it was just. The it was like walking into mud when I came into that classroom. It was so thick, and so so I did address it, but I didn't open it up to my students. You know, I I talked about maybe don't get involved in political conversation for a couple of weeks yeah. until you can cool cool off because everyone's emotions are quite raw one way or the other. You know, and if somebody disagrees with you, then they're going to be very hurt by by your stance, whichever side you're on, you know, and basically, basically asking them to sort of step step back a little bit, try to step back a little bit, or at least not engage with that for a little while until they could. It's um, going to be a challenge for a first-time, you know, 18, 19-year-old, first-time mm-hmm. presidential voter. Yeah, yeah. I, they had a lot of, they felt, well, they, I think they felt emotionally invested no matter what the outcome, um, so... Uh, I think some of them were, I mean, it was very clear to me that several of my students had been crying. Yeah, I, I had students that were that were missing that day. Other students told me that they just couldn't get out of bed that day. I had, I, had, I mean, I had students who, uh, like, kind of red, red-eyed. Mm-hmm. I also had students who, you know, had, you know, had worn Trump paraphernalia to my class. That's fine. I, not an issue for me in my class. It's like, it's, my class is about physics and astronomy. It's not about your politics. You know, you can wear whatever shirt you want. But I think the particular student I'm, I'm thinking of, it was probably a rough little while for her because most of the other students yeah. 
it was pretty clear that they had voted for, for Hillary Clinton. And there's a lot of hurt and pain and, you know, uh, just being upset and frustration that are probably going to end up directed at her because she had let it known that she was voting for Trump. You know, it sounds like you know, for political discussions, you guys didn't. You 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 addressed it by saying by having a a, a class announcement, to, right? To say like, hey, we're yeah. just not going to have this discussion. Yeah, right? I and mean, partly because I, I did that because I for two reasons. One, I'm not sure that I am, you know, properly aware to facilitate that type of discussion. I mean, that's the challenge is when you're uh, you're a single person in front of the room and you've got a room of 30 or, or 100 or whatever you've got in your lecture section, then it, it's so easy to quickly devolve into a hollering match yeah. if you don't have some kind of structure yeah. in place that, that, that you're practiced at. And yeah. as a teacher, I, I maybe could lead a discussion of 10 or 15, mm-hmm. and I, I don't have any problem having a one-on-one discussion with, with uh, you know, individuals or, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds on that on whatever topic, because then you're able to you know have body language. You're able to clarify what you're saying, really carefully think out like, hey, I want to make sure that you know my position is perfectly clear, and I'm not able to. Uh, it's, it's more difficult to be misunderstood after you say something and the whole room blows up and, and hollering, and you're not able to. Clarify right. what you're really saying. There's kind of there's less momentum with fewer fewer people involved. The uh, other reason I didn't do that is because it really was not the time. Mm-hmm. Everybody was too sort of raw from it in order to sit down and think and talk sort of logically and thoughtfully. And I think that's that's the other one of the things which is important about having these types of conversation in, in college is that as you say, like you tend to stay away from them in in high school, and I think we also tend to stay away from them, though we have that leeway if we wish to sort of indulge. But part of our expectation, you know, is that a student can disagree with me, and a student can disagree with another student, and that is fine. But we have to be thoughtful and respectful about that. That if you if we think about what a com- converse, conversations and quote on the internet looks like for uh, hot, hot button topics, it's, it's not a conversation. It's, it's a screaming match. It's, it's thrown insults and talking points. Neither side is listening to or trying to understand what, what the other side is, is saying. Neither side is really trying to say anything either. They're just mostly trying to whip up their base and, and denigrate their opponents. Whereas in a classroom, I'm like you say with a smaller group. I would be fine having this conversation. In fact, I had a, a student uh, that did research with me some years ago, uh, and we were of different sort of political stripes. And you know, I've had plenty of conversations with him about his politics and my politics, and and basically saying, you know, the the point is not that I need to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong. The, the point is that we understand why the other thinks this way. And that requires going slowly. That requires being thoughtful and not just simply stating the position or, or chanting the slogans, but rather being able to articulate why, you know, why Hillary Clinton, why Donald Trump, you know, for our example from a year ago. 
that's that's I mean that's sort of where I would want to be at. If if a student say I wanted to vote for Hillary Clinton because of this, that, and the other, and another student says, well, I wanted to vote, or I did vote for Donald Trump, whichever, because of you know these three things. Then you can talk about why are those important to you? Why do you see those as 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 being a benefit? You know these these aren't. You feel like there's a lot of sort of just jumping into camps, and then like either you're with us or against us. You know, and that's not really true. You know, everybody wants wants things to be better. I'm still, I'm still trying to think. It, the I mean, you you had a broad topic, political conversations, mm -hmm. and the the stuff we're talking about now sounds like if I were in my poli sci course with my poli sci professor, I could ask a kind of a pointed question. And that individual would be qualified enough to give me historic context and, mm -hmm. and definitions of terms and say, you know, ah, oh, you're voting this way because of a social topic, a social issue, or, 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 or a fiscal issue, and now we can discuss fiscal issues in a way that's non-threatening non, uh, to other people in the room, and everybody can have an opinion on, mm -hmm. ah, I'm fiscally liberal, I'm fiscally conservative, I'm socially liberal, I'm socially conservative, in a way that's not like this, um, you know, identity cult. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, uh, even even barring that, I would like them to be able to like have conversations where they can, you know, address these topics in ways that are respectful to other people. I mean, as another example, not as political, but as religious. You know, I've had students ask me whether, you know, I believe in God or not. Huh. And generally in class, mm -hmm. I sort of leave that alone. And I was like, we can talk about that later because, you know. I'm, I'm sure aware. They, I'm sure they're very. I'm sure they're curious when you're talking about the heavens and celestial stuff, right? I, right. Yeah. I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm a cosmologist by training, and so we, we oh. talk about stars and cosmology. And they didn't ask me that question. Yes. <laughs> you know, we, 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 this week is alien life in astronomy 101. Sweet. You know, and so it's it's in part of it for me is. I have students who are atheists. I have students who are deeply religious, and part. Part of what I see as my job is to, is to be able to talk about and impart the ideas of astronomy without unduly threatening, you know, one or the other. It's not a, it's not a, it's not binary, you know. And so I had a student ask, ask me that, and I was like, we can talk after class, but you know, we don't. I don't. It's not sort of appropriate to discuss <clears throat> right now. I don't want a student who says atheist to be like knocking the Bible in class right. based on the stuff that we're talking about. Um, that's totally okay for their opinion, but it's something which will make students who are devout Christians uncomfortable, or if they were knocking the Quran or the Torah, you know, or whatever sacred text sort of a thing. It's like this awareness that you are not the only one in this room, I think is mm. important. Well, I mean, again, again the, so I, I can see, maybe I'm saying I can see both sides, I can see how a student asking you, do you believe in God as a physics professor is relevant, is slightly relevant. And, you know, maybe, hey, ask me right after class, maybe that's the right answer to that. I think that's what I would do. And, and at the same time, I can see that that's not completely irrelevant. Uh, yeah, that's, and, that's correct, yeah. At the same time, you know, if I'm studying whatever topic, I don't know. I've, I feel like, is my faith or my belief so shaky that it's going to be threatened by some offhand comment by a third party in the middle of my professor talking about topic, by talking, talking about, you know, math or calculus or 
physics or, or, or anthropology? Am I going to be suddenly well, shaken in my faith? I, I, don't, I don't think it's about being shaken in, in, in their faith. It's um, For me, it's about making sure that they feel comfortable in the classroom and that they don't see that, I don't know, like I'm just like, well, yeah, I try to respond to be like, well, that's certainly a way to think about it. You know, not in terms of dismissing anybody, but looking at all views, because if I in any way seem to agree with the atheists in the class, then anybody who's not an atheist might automatically feel some sort of like just not feeling included or not belonging and those kinds of things. So mine's about creating an environment where people can express what they think or their opinions about stuff with the idea of respecting everybody else who's also in the room. Yeah, it's not about shaking their faith or converting them from atheism or into atheism. Or into atheism. It's about people being comfortable. I guess here's my question is, is how, and I'm, this is a, you know, I'm throwing it out to myself as well. I don't mean, I'm not trying to point at you guys. How comfortable uh, am I, do I have a right to be? Am I entitled mm -hmm. to be in a class? I'm taking this course to get my degree and you know what I mean like sure yeah sure I mean you have I would have to walk on eggshells for everybody no, no. I mean, um I just think for, for me like if well learning is uncomfortable well, right and I and I tell students well if this was easy then I'm not doing my job like I want it to be difficult and uncomfortable but that being said like you know we're talking about we did Henrietta Lacks as our common reader and there were some there were some interesting subtopics in that book, and we had to like address like race and racism in the 1950s versus now, and medical ethics and those kinds of things. And there were lots of different ways to interpret that book and to feel about that book. But I had to be, you know, aware of all the different backgrounds in that in, in the classroom, so that we were talking about those things in like a, a careful way that was still like I don't know. It was. Discussing the book, but um, in an intellectual and mature way that wasn't dismissive of certain like opinions or points of views. Right. I mean, it's, it's I would say, comfortable in that <clears throat> no one is attacking you in parts, uh, in foundations of who you are. Your, your, your beliefs, whatever they are, are an integral part of who you are. Your, your race, your ethnicity, your creed. You know, these are important parts of who you are. And in my classroom, I want it to be welcoming regardless of what you believe, regardless of what you look like, you know, regardless of, you know, who you like. Well, so Lisa, that's, that to me is, that's class culture, and that's speaking mm -hmm. with your class about how to communicate with each other mm -hmm. regardless of topic. And that is, isn't that independent of content and saying, you know, who is to say, if I roll up as a student and I say, Professor Hyland, you know, my core beliefs and values have been threatened, and therefore my own humanity and personality has been threatened, and I'm uncomfortable in your class, at what slippery slope level, I'm just, you know, playing devil's advocate for myself sure. here. This, <laughs> yeah. At what point is it, hey, you know, yes, I hear you, I'm, I'm not condescending or dismissing, and at the same time, this is our content. I mean, I don't want to say, like, every right. lesson needs a trigger warning in front of it. <laughs> right, and I'm not one of those trigger warning people. In fact, I don't really support those. And for literature, that can be definitely a slippery slope because some people are like, well, I don't want to read anything about rape or incest. And I'm like, well, there goes that whole era or whatever. <laughs> so 
Um, no, it, George, no George R. R. Martin for you. Yeah, no, that's off the table. So that it is difficult to negotiate that. If there's any, if there's anything I can do to help a student while still making them responsible for the content, I mean, right. I try my best to do that. Although I don't teach literature, so I don't really care about that as much. Um, mine mostly comes from like we t discuss things. I usually have a theme in my research writing class, and last year it was gender and education. And we were talking specifically about uh, single sex education. And then <clears throat> we were looking at some other things about how boys were falling behind in school because we paid too much attention to girls in the last 30 years. And so there's all of these things. And so students were getting really like, like emotional about these topics. Um, and so like we had to like have a conversation about, well, let's all talk at once at a time. And you can't just say this guy is stupid. You have to give me examples of why you think that and things like that. So that's kind of, I think I wasn't thinking political necessarily in the way that you were. I was thinking more of how to have a conversation when you disagree with something that's happening in the classroom while still being respectful. Um, well, I think the, sorry to interrupt you. The, the conversation you're describing relies on the participants having a similar base level of knowledge to begin with. I mean, you're walking into that conversation with a lot of, you know, research and, and mm -hmm. actual stuff in your hand, and they're reacting emotionally about, oh, why are they downing on boys? Yeah. Right? Well, I mean... But that's the whole research process that I'm trying to teach them is that, okay, let's read this and let's think about it. Now let's read this and put this in conversation with this. So they're allowed to have those conversations. What they're not allowed to do is just have that emotional reaction and make that the basis of everything for the semester. And you have to be able to, as, a, as a, somebody reading research, be able to read that and say, ah, okay, I read the methodology in Chapter 3. Right. And I see that the reason they're getting this conclusion has to do with these other factors mm -hmm. and now I can rationally put together something that's not just gut based and oh they're just it's just the attack on males well that's, I mean one of the things that that's you know this brings up for me is that when we talk about being sort of res respectful of other people also the person who everyone carries that burden I, as an individual within my classroom, whether I'm a student or a professor, have a responsibility to have a thought, have a care for everyone else in that room, and do my best to say what I want to say in a way that, I, that I'm trying to make it respectful. I can express my opinion, but I need to do it in a way that is respectful to my peers and the other people in the classroom. As someone listening to somebody like Melody speaking in the classroom, I also need to do my best to listen with respect and the benefit of the doubt. That uh, if I'm going to jump at everything because it brought up a topic, if I'm going to you know, take it in a direction that it was clear to a, to a reasonable person that it was not meant to go, then I as the listener who's now offended am not being respectful. I'm not respecting the person who is talking. I am using it as a springboard to launch my own diatribe. And so, you know, you're right in that coming at it with a lot of background and being able to look more deeply at it definitely helps because it means you're starting from a place where you have more perspective. It can bring more sort of logic and reasoning to bear on it. But even if I know nothing, I can ask questions. I can just have that personal interaction well, why do you think that? Why, why do you see it meaning this? 
in a way that allows them, allows my respect for them to come through and allows them to explain what they mean if I don't understand, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to explain to me what they, what they mean because I assume that what I am hearing is not what they actually mean because I know this person, or will give them benefit of the doubt that they're not a horrible individual. You know? And so that aspect, I think, is also important in a classroom discussion. Stuff like this comes up in a college classroom, or just in general in life, I guess, <laughs> though we see it in our, in our classrooms, that being respectful and giving the benefit of the doubt and asking for clarification is an important aspect of the listener who might, you know, your antenna might start twitching like, this sounds like something that I really don't like and is insulting to me, you know, to take that breath and be like, could you please explain further? And if they turn out to be horrible, racist, bigoted people, then, well, now you know. <laughs> but, wow. but you gave them the opportunity to prove, prove that wrong. So, I mean, it seems like I'm hearing, you know, when, remember we gave that, that presentation a little while ago, and one of the questions at the end was, um, you know, what skills should students have going into college? And mm -hmm. we had a very short list, but on the list was active listening skills is mm -hmm. what you're describing, but also the ability to kind of, Assume positive intent of the other of the other person, and you know have a little grace to give to mm -hmm. the other person, and and yeah, allow that uh, allow that explanation. And and I mean, and that's a that's a skill that maybe is difficult for a you know eighteen year old, seventeen year old. That it takes practice and wisdom. It does. It does, take, it does take a lot of practice. I mean, and I don't feel like I've lived a particularly contentious life, but I still do feel like the number of times I've had to like tamp down my initial response, which is like for my face to go red and to just start yelling at people and be like, could you explain that to me? Yeah. Well, and I don't know, like whenever I brought in those pieces or whatever, of course the students were automatically assuming that this was my opinion. You know, oh, well you must think this. And I'm like, actually I'm providing you with a, a lot of different perspectives but we've only read these two and so um and they constantly wanted to know what i thought about it well what do you think do you think boys are being underserved and i'm like i don't know i mean we need to keep reading so we can come to better conclusions about that right. so while i did have the perspective of having read everything that we read as a class and i had read a lot more i tried my best to not insert that perspective because i was sort of taking this research journey with them to kind of figure out like what they really thought and how this, how they made sense of all of these different points of view, and sometimes conflicting research, and what their ultimate takeaway was. Sometimes we don't give an opinion not because we don't have one, but because we don't want to. We we really don't want to influence. We want like the point is for our students to learn to think for themselves. And if they're like, "What do you think?" Like often, will I will shy back from that because that most often means give me the answer. Yeah, and or I don't, just tell me what you want me to say. Yeah, I don't, there's nothing that particularly, for like say reflection papers and stuff, which... You know, that's the one where I, I feel like I've, I've given to my students um, a long explanation where maybe a short one would have not been good. So if they say, well, wh who did you vote for? And I, and I just say, well, I'm not going to say, uh -huh. it comes across as... Um, to, to them, to, a, to a, a high school student, it's like, oh, here's another one of these teachers who just doesn't, you know, want to connect with students and whatever. No, yeah. Another adult that doesn't want to listen to kids. 
doesn't doesn't respect them as like right. adults or individuals, you know, is just going to dismiss this. And, you know, sometimes I want to be that teacher, but <laughs> I think we you all know, are I mean, on some days. When I've given that longer answer, that explanation of, look, I'm getting you know paid by government money and property taxes, and and it's it's kind of a violation of trust to stand in my classroom and use classroom time that I'm paid by your parents to teach you how I vote versus, you know, let you get educated and make your own decision on how you want to vote based on your values and your family upbringing and your, you know, uh, pastor, rabbi, whatever, you know, based on your, I want you to be educated enough to gather the proper information and, and determine if that information is valid and toss out the bad information on your own without me. Right. And that, and that level of explanation is, it takes a little bit longer and I have to stop what I'm doing and, you know, have everybody take a breath and say, yeah, I'm about to give you an answer, but it takes more than one sentence. Are you ready for it? <laughs> <laughs> and then they're ready and they're engaged and they're listening and, and, and it, yeah, and it shows respect to the, to the question. Right. Well, now that I'm thinking about it a little more, I honestly, I'd read a bunch of stuff about this gender and education. There are so many, like, the idea was for them to come up with an, a research question that they could then write a proposal to do a research project. And I think I had way, way more questions than I did answers. And I kept telling them, I don't really know the answer to this. I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Because it was true because I, it was still, it's, there was no, there was not enough definitive evidence no matter how you sliced it, to like really figure out what was going on. So I probably could have done like, I don't know, 65 different research projects based on the things that we read. So I was really interested to see where their questions came up. Like, where did they see holes in the literature where they might be able to fit a question that they wanted answered? And so that was, it was sort of exploratory in that sense. I think that's always, that's always brave to put that type of discussion out there to a, basically a random group, like the, you're not necessarily, it's not like this is your family you're talking with or somebody you're comfortable with, it's, it's no. students. Sometimes it's better that way. Yeah, <laughs> family. You know, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, I don't know, so because they can go in so many directions, it is possible that they can really like land on something that is a little like, I'm like, wow, are you sure that's the slant you want to take? Don't you see how that might be um, not very fair <laughs> to one side of the argument? So like even teaching them how to like write research questions that aren't already biased or that they don't already have the answer to and those kinds of things too. I mean, I mean, that's got to be a, a spot to have that discussion. Like mm -hmm. Peter said, you, you can't really have that uh, um, discussion like at Thanksgiving with your family because no. the pushback is already, like I'm already anticipating what my dad is going to say about, you know, whatever political topic. So yeah. whenever he says it, my ears are already shut off. Whereas if I'm discussing with my professor and I say a, a research question and they come back with um, uh, a, a thing, a little, they come back with some pushback on it, then uh, then maybe I'm willing to hear it. Yeah. You know? Right. Or, oh, I mean, I, often our concern is that our students might be willing to hear it too much. Right. That it's the opposite side of, of, of pushing back. It's like having, having the political argument with your parents is they just, they're just going to take whatever I say and run with that. Yeah. Well, I usually just try to take it from a research stance. I'm like, that's sure. not an answerable question. <laughs> 
can't answer that's a, that. That's a problem. Or that's a book length question. Let's back it off a little bit. So, Narrow that up a little bit. Yeah. So I mean, I'm I know that we're running rounding to the end of the the session here, but like in terms, so this is tangentially related um, but this is something that we've talked about recently at some writing center conferences and that I've had a discussion with with my writing center tutors um, because we help everyone on campus with their writing and it is very possible that students can come in with papers because they're able to choose their own topics in many courses that might be racist or uh, bigoted <laughs> or hateful and my tutors have been asking how do I handle that um, and so that's been like, so those are things that like I've, this is why this topic has been on my brain because one, I do, I guess, engage in this stuff a lot more than you guys do. Um, and I also get to read a lot of personal writing that I wish I didn't <laughs> have to read all the time, but they will just like, blah, like, out, like just confess all kinds of not like murder or anything, but they're really open with their feelings and with their beliefs, and so I often know way, way more about students than I ever wanted to know. I mean, not as often in like the reflection papers because it's about science, but sometimes there's some oversharing that goes on. I bet. Yeah, and I'm like, what? No, okay, good. But so like, I've been trying to talk with with my tutors about how to handle these situations, and it's it's tricky and it's difficult, and um, I don't really know the answer. Yeah, so, but I don't want my students, or my tutors, as much as it is our job to serve writers, it is not my, it is not my tutor's job to sit there and read a paper that's talking, that's attacking them personally. Like if, mm. um, you know, like if somebody's like, well, I had to read this racist paper and I felt like it was attacking my race, I don't want my tutor to go through that. She shouldn't have to do that. That's not part of her job description. And so I've given them the, the permission to say, I'm sorry, I can't help you with this paper. And if somebody else is there, that's great. If not, then too bad. They've been told to contact me. I mean, if you want to do it without making a conflict, you tell the tutor to say, hey, I'm, I'm not basically to, to make, make me the bad guy, make the, oh, yeah. uh, the boss the bad guy and say, hey, my boss asked me to pass this paper on to somebody else and, and she's moved me over to somebody else. Yeah. And then, you know, if they want to have a complaint, they bring it to me instead of to the tutor. Exactly, but I'm not always there in the evenings, and so they're still going to have to deal with it. Thank you, text. I, and I told them, I was like, I'm like, do whatever you have to do. Throw me under the bus. I will handle the fallout. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still one of those things where it's like, um, in terms of, like, creating an open atmosphere, I'm sure that the student who's bringing in the racist paper doesn't feel like that atmosphere is very opening or, like, open or welcoming to her. And I apologize for that, but I, I have a responsibility to my tutors first and foremost, so. I don't know. I don't know what that even relates. You might want to edit that out, but it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's just things that, like, like, because students, and there's a difference between, like, having an opinion and having like a claim with evidence and oftentimes uh when you come in and you're like well actually this is a claim that you can't or this is like an opinion that you can't back with evidence that's it's like racist and awful because you can't back it with evidence so we try to go that direction but it doesn't always work yeah it's sticky so i don't know if i would tell students you know, but, you know, be prepared to be challenged if you come into the writing center. Not like, oh, you suck, but like, uh, what is the source material here? 
<laughs> How can well, obviously not the. I mean, it makes sense not the peer tutor, but if a non-peer, you know, adult can't read the paper that somebody has by choice brought in and offered, please help me. If if I can't read that and say to the person, hey, you know, you've got some good writing, you've got some points here, and then you've got a bunch of stuff that's really biased language, and you're mm-hmm. and you're you're you don't have claims, you have opinions. Who if if you can't, who can tell the person, uh, uh, you know, those points are like, this is not what's expected of academic writing. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, and I, I, we've talked about how to discuss those things. I'm like, you can almost always take a paper like that. Or trigger the snowflakes. But somebody has to tell right. bad writing. You call a spade a spade. Bad writing is bad writing. Exactly. You can always, yeah. you can always take it from a bad writing stance, but... At what point do I want to subject my tutors to having to sit through all of those horrible things just to have the, to probably have the writer dismiss them anyway to being like, well, I think it's good. Why you probably bring it in? Yeah, but like audience is a thing, you know. Like, do yeah. you think that? Well, how do you think your audience is going to receive this? <laughs> you know, so I don't know, but it's it's definitely so. This is kind of the climate. I think we're. Uh, we're trying to have these democratic, open conversations that are respectful, that create this environment. But it's also difficult when it feels like that, as a society, opinions do have as much weight as facts. And to kind of counterbalance, well, that's just my opinion. I'm like, that's great, and you're entitled to that. Scientist but... really is not happy with that. <laughs> so I don't know, trying to balance out like how... Like how the the stuff from society is coming into the classroom and how we're kind of having to wrangle um, that. And even something as what you might think of as, as innocent as class discussion sometimes can go awry very quickly, even when you don't intend for it to. If those do come up, benefit of the doubt. Yes. Expect the positive interpretation as opposed to the negative interpretation as much as possible. Allow people to explain. Explain yourself. Don't just state but give the reasons, give the foundations for that. And slow it down. Right? Don't let the emotions and the and everything sort of snowball and build momentum. I think that's you know, that's a, a skill too, is is realizing that some things don't have to happen immediately or don't have to get processed through in the next five minutes. Some things can take a day or can, you know, right. take an hour to process through. Right. And some of the, t- the topics that we're tackling, we're not going to come to a consensus to. No. Uh, yeah, our consensus. <clears throat> is there consensus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need a preposition there. Speaking as a former young man, that, that's a, uh, a, that can be really unsatisfying. It, to, yeah. To have the discussion and think that you're adamantly correct and the other person is, you know, observably wrong and then not get to a finish. It's really dissatisfying, but... Again, that's something with its practice and age and wisdom that, that um, we have to give a little bit of slack and a little bit of grace for, for you know, individuals to, for lack of a better description, grow up. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things that I think is difficult about college is that while there are certain, there are certainly classes you take where there's one right answer and you will learn what the one right answer is, there, there are plenty of more classes that you won't come to the final understanding. This is, we, last week we covered dark matter and dark energy in astronomy. It's, There's no right answer for that? We don't have the answer. Okay, good. Like, so, so like, I can't tell you what they are. We don't know. We don't know what they are. 
It's like it just doesn't matter if you ask the the honest answer before I tell you what I think is we don't know, and then we can go from there. Like it's just that's just the way it is. You know that's that's, that's part of what college don't trust science right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's plenty of things that we can say with concrete knowledge about, but much more important is your ability to reason your way through unconcrete knowledge mm-hmm. and to be comfortable dealing with that and coming to the end of a discussion or end of a class and being able to live with the uncertainty. Well, <laughs> thank you for listening, everybody. Wow, we got kind of deep there. <laughs> a little bit. If you have a question for me, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Highland, D-O-C-T-O-R-H-Y-L-A-N-D. If you have a longer missive to send, deeper question to ask, you can reach me on email. Is it about dark matter? I could probably answer those. Is it I don't know? I have I, I have a good idea. <laughs> okay. Good. That's part of what I did in my okay. graduate work and, oh, okay. and postdocs. But that's peter.o.highland, H-Y-L-A-N-D, at gmail.com. All right. Welcome to the new semester. Woo. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> oh, that's weird. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.